0: Thank you for joining Crossroads Community Church today. We're so excited about what God's doing in the lives of the people of our church and the lives of those who are listening online. If you have any questions or want more information about our church, visit our website at www.crossroadscco.com or follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Now let's jump into the Word with this week's message. But again, as you know, we've been going through a sermon series on the Beatitudes and um, so this morning we're, our, our main text comes from Matthew chapter five, verse nine. So if you have your Bibles, why don't you get them out and we 'll turn to Matthew chapter five, verse nine, and I um, 'll we'll just, just read it now. So Matthew chapter five verse nine it says, "Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God." So I want to start off this message. Um, by first saying that I am no expert at conflict resolution and that um, I am no expert on peacemaking. Um, But I think that when we talk about peacemaking, there are often some common misconceptions that we have about what peacemaking actually is. Uh, And so I've, I've characterized these misconceptions into two different types of people, this morning, um, and, and I think we probably, if we were honest, all fall in one of these categories. And the first person that I'd like to characterize is, is the peace faker. The peace faker. And this person is someone who does not seek peace, rather, they just seek to avoid conflict altogether. And um, thus, by doing so, they think that they're keeping peace. Um, they often ignore the problem exists, or they pretend it exists or they run away from conflict altogether, or run away from that person, uh, I don't know, maybe, maybe you're that person in here, you see somebody coming, you're like, nope, not today, and you start walking the other way, that would be the peace faker. So if we were honest, is, is there anyone in here this morning that's a peace faker? Wow, just, just a few. All right. Well, we have the peace and then we have the peace breaker. We have the peace breaker, and the peace breaker is a person that attacks when they're offended, and um, they're incredibly defensive, and they can be threatening even when, even while they're attempting to make peace. They come across as threatening, and so again, is there any peace breakers in the room this morning? <laughs> okay, <That's, laughs> yeah, both. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. <clears throat> And so we're, we are really good at, we are, the staff is passing around cold, so Anthony had it last week and it's my turn this week, so, um, but we are good at being peace fakers and we are being good at being peace breakers, myself included, I'm good at being both actually, Um, but God calls us to be peacemakers. And so if those examples are what it is not to be a peacemaker. What is a peacemaker? Excuse me. And so a peacemaker, by definition, is, is someone who is actively seeking to reconcile people back to God or reconcile relationships, reconcile one another or reconcile people back to God. And peacemaker is, uh, the word peacemaker is a, is a compound word and it's it's comprised of two obviously common words, peace and maker. And so I want to just break this down just for a second so we can just really understand what, what it means to be a peacemaker. And, and firstly, the word peace, excuse me, is, is the Hebrew word for shalom. So oftentimes this greeting is used as the same way we would say hello or goodbye. Um, Jews would say shalom in that same way. And so it's a term related to health and prosperity, and wholeness, and it means freedom for tr- from trouble, and liberation from, um, from anything that hinders contentment. And so again, as a Jew, they would say shalom, and it, it means peace be with you, the full peace and prosperity of God. So the second part of that word, make, in the word peacemakers, uh, comes from the Greek verb that means to do or to make. And so it mandates action and, and initiative. And so I want us to notice something this morning, because this is important for us to understand. That when we talk about being a peacemaker, G, Ma, uh, Jesus said in Matthew 5, 9, blessed are the peacemakers. Um, I want us to notice that Jesus did not say, blessed are the peace wishers, uh, blessed are the peace hopers, or the peace dreamers, or the peace lovers, or the peace talkers. Jesus says, blessed are the peace are the peacemakers. You see, peace must be made. It requires an action on our part. Peace does not happen by chance. It doesn't just happen. Um, And peace is not passive. You can't just idly sit by and, and hope for peace. It just does not happen. And so when these words are used together, peacemaker, it describes one who actively pursues peace. And so that's what we're talking about this morning. Um, As I said, peacemaking doesn't just happen because, honestly, it's not in our human nature to desire um, to be a peacemaker. Is there anyone in here that loves to be a peacemaker? Um, And and honestly, I, I would venture to say there are very few of us that just enjoy peacemaking and I think part of it is because my my flesh, right, it, it, it says like, well, why should I make peace when my feelings and my actions and my response, my emotions to people that I'm experiencing conflict with, I'm justified. We feel justified, right? And so And so peace doesn't just occur. It takes effort on our part to surrender this conflict with God surrender this conflict that we're having with whoever it may be, surrender that to God, and to to desire to seek peace with whom we are experiencing conflict. But I want to caution us this morning that it would be a terrible mistake to think that true biblical peace can be achieved through our own doing. That is not possible. Listen, and, and this is the key of this entire message, is that true biblical peacemaking cannot happen absent of or apart from the peacemaker, the Prince of Peace, and that is Jesus. And so this morning, I just, I want to talk about peacemaking and um, why it's important and and how it is that we practice it. And um, I just have three points of emphasis this morning, Um, and the first point of emphasis is that we must To be a peacemaker, we must first make peace with God. To be a peacemaker, we must first make peace with God. Romans chapter 5 verse 1 says this, Therefore, since we have been made right in God's sight by faith, we have peace with God because of what Jesus Christ our Lord has done for us. And so essentially what this passage means is that when we fully surrender our lives to Christ, and we ask Him to be Lord over our life. Meaning, God, You have complete control. We receive peace with God in that though we are unrighteousness, and the Bible says that all of us are, we are made righteous based on trusting Christ's death as payment for our sins. That's what God did for us. And this is not something that can be earned. This is not something that we deserve at all. I'm up here right now. I'll be the first one to tell you I did not earn and, and I did not deserve that gift of grace that God gives us, but He loves us so much that He gives it to us. And so, we are made righteous based on trusting Christ's death as, as payment for our sins. Real, genuine peace with God means that we are truly reconciled with Him. We are no longer enemies of God, but we are friends of God. We, we no longer fear judgment. And so if the first step to peacemaking is making peace with God, and making peace uh, with God is completed through our justification in Him, this means that peace with God is not due to any effort on my part at all. Rather, it's what Jesus did on the cross. The only way that I have peace with my Maker, with God the Father, is because of what He did by sending His Son on the cross to pay the price for my sins. Had that not happened, understand that we are enemies of God. We are sinners. And so understanding like the grace that God gives us and extending his son to pay the price for our sin. We all know this. We've heard this a million times. But I think sometimes because we've heard it so much, we don't really like let it sink from head knowledge into our heart and really understand and know what that means. But when we do that, our life is transformed. When we surrender our life to God, we are completely transformed. Our our personality is transformed. Has anybody experienced this? Like, surrendering your life to Christ and you just are completely transformed. Yeah. I was 14 years old when I gave my life to Christ. I My mother and my father essentially both um, kind of disowned my sister and I. And we were, you know really young and dealt with difficult things. Depression, seven years old, wanting to kill myself at seven years old. And, And at 14 years old, seven years later, coming, understanding the love of God, understanding what He did for me, radically, totally changed my life forever. I mean, I would not be standing here today if it weren't for what God did for me. And so, Uh, I have the incredible opportunity to be a youth pastor. It's one of the greatest joys that I've ever experienced in my entire life. Um, To be, uh, you know, my job is to hang out with teenagers. It's just an incredible job. And so this morning, um, I I come in contact with all kinds of different um, students, but this morning I asked one of our students, Elizabeth, to come and share a little bit of her testimony and just the story of God's grace and redemption and his work in her life and and how she's, you know, anyway, I'm not going to say too much because I want her to talk, but Elizabeth, why don't you come on up? Can you guys welcome Elizabeth? There you go. Okay,
1: so my story is mainly about anxiety and depression. And so I grew up like a normal, pretty normal childhood. Nothing really was wrong. And then, and I like went to Sunday school, went to church. I've grown up in this church since like, I was born. Um, I, in sixth grade, Pastor Josh came and he, and his message for that year in youth group was like taking your faith as, like, your own and not, like, believing just because someone told you to believe. And so that, like, kind of started, like, thinking and stuff. And I was, like, I took it, like, the wrong way almost. And I, like, started thinking too much. And in, that like, the end of sixth grade, I started having, like, anxiety attacks. Bad anxiety about silly little things. But, like, seemingly, like, things that were, like... Detrimental, even though it was, like, not really that bad at all. And so I was kind of seen as, like, a crybaby or someone who was overly emotional, and I went on for, like, three-ish years or so, and through that time, I also started self-harming and, like, hurting myself, and, like, I broke my arm and, like, did a couple things that weren't super... Good, because I was in a dark place, and I didn't know what was happening or why it was happening. I just knew that I was always, like, struggling and worrying and stressing out about everything, even, like, the little details. And then last spring um, at youth group one day, we had a prayer night, and I don't know why this happened, but I ended up telling Miss Jamie my um, everything— pretty much, and I told her that I'd been hurting myself and stuff, and that was the first time I had told anybody that this was even happening, and she encouraged me to go to my parents, and I had to tell them, and my parents put me in counseling, and it didn't go so swell for <laughs> a little while, and then this year, I started ninth grade high school, and um that was a huge transition, and what part of my anxiety is I don't do well with like changing environments or changing different things. So, changing into high school was a big difference, and literally, um, it just like down spiraled from there. And I, in August, I started having tics or anxiety tics. So, like just random movements or sounds or stuff, so if I ever say any weird words and movements, like, it's kind of like an uncontrollable thing. I'm not sure how to else explain it. And because my counselor said that it was because my anxiety was so intense that it needed, like, a physical outlet because I had so much that I couldn't, like, just keep holding it in anymore. And I went, I've gone to Marysville schools, like, my entire life, and so my parents teach there and stuff. So we've grown up in the community and stuff. And this fall was pretty um, rough, like, as far as anxiety goes. And I literally was having, like, panic attacks, like, every day, maybe twice a day sometimes. And, like, the school ended up telling me that I was, it was unsafe for me to, to be at school. So they took. They told me I had to get like a doctor's signature or something to get back into school. And we ended up getting a signature and coming back to school for a couple of days. And then I had a super severe anxiety attack that um, we just decided that we couldn't. I couldn't go back to my school because it was too much for me to handle. So the month of like November, I was that I was doing my work from school, but I was doing it at home, and I didn't um, go to school that month or so, and I just, because I couldn't handle, like, the physically being in school with all the people and all the stimulations and all that stuff. And then in December, um, my mom signed or, like, took a, had me take a tour of a smaller school, New Lake Christian Academy, and it only has like 140 students like totals, so it was like 10 times smaller than the school I was going to, and we were thinking like if there was less people that it would be like a better thing, and so we took a, the tour, and then I started going to school like December 7th or something like that, and... During that time, like it was scary, like changing schools and meeting new people and stuff. But over time, it's gotten like a lot better. Like I haven't been like crying to go to school every morning and stuff like that. And so it was like a much better choice going there than going to Marysville. And um, through all this anxiety and stuff, I was doubting God like a ton. Like. I didn't know why God would have me go through all this. I hadn't done anything wrong i that I knew of, and I wasn't doing anything on purpose and so I kind of like got away from him and I wasn't exactly like angry at him, but I didn't want to be around him. I just kind of was just kind of going with on with my life, trying to figure out all of my own and stuff and once I went to new life um it's a completely different atmosphere than public school because like we pray in class and we have God conversations in class and it's it's a much different experience and I was like watching all of these people have this experience with God and realized that like I didn't have what I needed and stuff and I started asking like a whole bunch of questions and stuff and I didn't know what was going on but I knew there's something that I was missing. And then, in youth group, we went to Camp Barrrichal a couple, during um, midwinter break. and that Saturday, we all had um, we all had like a small group, and I shared my story to the youth there, and that night was literally like the most. Emotional and impacting life night of like my entire life like everybody was crying everybody was in the moment and there's something that happened I wasn't quite sure what but it, it was definitely like the Holy Spirit was in that room With all of us and it just Was a crazy experience so after that I kind of like realized that like what I was missing was the relationship with God and I wanted that and So I've been, like, these past few um, months or so, I've been, like, more, like, trying more to get closer to God. And I've been going through this devotional um, book every day or so with Pastor Josh. And one of the days, I literally just, like, after reading it, I, like, don't know why, there's just, like, the Holy Spirit, like, filled me inside, and I literally texted him, I was like, I just feel like I need to, like, go out and, like, sh- say, like, share God with, like, the whole world. It was, like, the weirdest, inc- most incredible feeling, like, just, like, having, like, this weird joy that I hadn't had in, like, years because of the crazy anxiety and stuff, and through these past, like, few weeks and stuff, God has, like, really, like... <laughs> just <clears throat> brought me joy and peace and relief from like anxiety and like the ticks and the anxiety have gone like way down from where they were in the fall
0: Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. yeah <laughs> yeah i mean, this is why we do what we do and uh it's just incredible to see you know where she was and where she is in a in a place of hopelessness and then now being reconciled back to her father because of relationships, she's, genuine relationships she's experienced with him, the Holy Spirit completely, radically transforming and changing her life. I mean, that's that's an incredible testimony, and I'll say in front of everybody, I believe so much that God's going to use you to do some incredible things, and I'm just really excited to hear about those things, so thank you for sharing. But So I I had her share that because I wanted to reinforce this this notion that like before we can be peacemakers, we must make make peace with God. We cannot share peace with others if we haven't first experienced peace. And so it's so important that we must first experience peace, peace with God ourselves before we be peacemakers. Peacemaking begins with an experience of peace in our own heart. And if you've not done that this morning, um, before you leave here today, I'm going to give you the opportunity. If you do not know Christ, if you've not received the grace he's, He's given us, if you've not received that peace, I want to give you the opportunity this morning. Do not leave here today without doing that. So make peace with God. And the second point, that's the first point, the second point is make peace with yourself. Make peace with yourself. Colossians chapter 3, verse 15 says this, "'Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, "'since as members of one body "'you were called to peace, and be thankful.'" So here's the thing. Peacemaking is difficult. Peacemaking is really difficult. And it's not just because of the difficult... I mean, I, mean, I, I already know, like, as I'm talking about peacemaking, we're probably thinking of that person that's incredibly difficult in our mind, Right? Like, you, you know somebody. Come on, you do. You do, right? And But here's the thing. I want us to check ourselves. This is like a, a youth thing that they say, you know, check yourself before you wreck yourself. Um, but I want us to check ourselves because here's the thing. Peacemaking can be difficult, yes. And it's because the person that we're experiencing conflict with is, can be an incredibly difficult person. But oftentimes, peacemaking is difficult because of us. Peacemaking is difficult because of me. And perhaps if we were willing to admit this and just think about this, God is using conflict to show us things inside of ourselves that we've allowed to remain hidden or we've allowed to remain suppressed. I want to use this as an example. I love Coke. There's some Pepsi people in this room probably, but I really love Coke. It's like Ohio State, Michigan. Actually, they're both red. Ohio State and Coke. So that's a. Anyway, uh, if I, you know, this is a bottle of Coke, and so what? What is inside this bottle? Coke. Thank you. And so if I if I were if I were to shake this bottle up, if I were to shake it up, and I'm and I open it and shoot, what's what's going to come out of this bottle? Coke. <laughs> yeah. Coke is going to come out of this, right? If it's shaken, it's going to blow its top. And I think, and and this is where the Lord, I think, wants us to check ourselves. Like, we have that nosy neighbor, right? He'll he'll climb up over the fence just to check out what you're doing, right? And that conflict that shakes us, right? Or maybe, you know, those of us who are married, sometimes our spouse says something that just grinds our gears, and you're just like, and so that conflict shakes us, or maybe you're in this room, and you're, you know, your mother-in-law, your father-in-law, um, I have incredible mother-in-law and father-in-law, <laughs> so this never, this does not happen with me, <laughs> but you get the point, so that conflict shakes us right, conflict shakes us and, and I, think, I think the point that I'm trying to make here is, is when we experience conflict and we're shaken, what is coming out of us? What is coming out of us? Because if I was to admit with you this morning, if I was to be honest, oftentimes when I experience conflict, my, my first, uh, the first thing that I tend to do is become very defensive. And I get angry, and sometimes I raise my voice, sometimes... Because I'm so defensive, my first instinct is to point out something bad about the other person just to make sure that we're on equal ground. (laughs) Listen, I admitted in the beginning that I'm not an expert on peacemaking. Um, I have myself experienced conflict and failed miserably in responding to that conflict. Like to the point that what I said and what I did was not honoring to God. And so we can get so angry and so bitter sometimes, before you know it, this conflict has completely stolen our peace. Like, all we think about is that person. All we think about is the conflict. And we become so fixated on the problem that we forget that there is a person behind the problem. Pastor John has said before, um, we tend to make the problem bigger than the person. Like whoever it may be, that nosy neighbor, your in-laws, your spouse, whatever, realize that there's a conflict going on, but behind that conflict is a person that needs to know and understand the grace of God and the redemption that God gives us and how God wants to reconcile us back to Him. There is a person behind the problem, and if we for one moment were able to just take a step back and just just look at the situation we would understand that maybe that anger that i have that bitterness that i have that 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 first intention to hurt somebody else first was because honestly i have a lot of rejection because my dad and my mom i ha- i deal with rejection and so when someone comes at me my first mechanism is defense because i'm rejected we have to understand I don't I think very few people maybe less than 1% really just want to cause conflict and hate people and want to hurt people the bottom line is that we are all hurt people hurt people hurt people <laughs> so when we humble ourselves when we pray we ask for wisdom we own up to our contributions to conflict we apologize god is glorified god is honored and I want to say something really quick, because I think sometimes we think that we feel defeated and that we're a failure. An attempt at reconciliation brings glory to God even if the other party rejects that attempt. An attempt at reconciliation brings glory and honor to God even if the other party rejects it. It's not our job to get the other person to make peace with me. It's my job to make peace with that person. Not only is God glorified, but we ourselves can fee- receive peace by just releasing that conflict, surrendering that conflict, and, and submitting it to Christ, saying, God, like, this-, this may never change. We have to come to that place. This may never change, but my response will change. Letting this situation c- consume me will change. So make peace with God Make peace with yourself. And then the last point, and we're closing, is make peace with others. When I read Jesus' words in Matthew chapter 5, verse 9, he says, blessed are the peacemakers. Honestly, I just feel like smiling and saying, oh, that's cute. <laughs> because the reality is, is that to make peace, it means that I have to have confrontation and I hate confrontation. It means that I experience mess. It means that I have to exert so much energy. Peacemaking takes so much energy. And honestly, as I said, I can go through all of that and still, I can spend the energy and go into this conflict and, conflict and still it doesn't work. And my favorite author in the Bible, he's written written, written written, most of the New Testament, is Paul. And he even concedes in Romans chapter 12, verse 18, he says if possible, and I think I put it up there. Do I have it? Yeah, there it is. If possible, on your part, live at peace with everyone. So, so Paul even admits my including if possible, that it's an attempt at peacemaking may not be possible. A person may just be incredibly difficult and until God, and, and I believe God can just change anybody's heart, But until that person is is in a place where they say, God, like you need to change me, they're going to stay the same. And so the question this morning is, is, is it even worth it? Is it worth going through all that mess, exerting all that energy to make peace with somebody? And the short answer is yes, because two chapters later, Paul writes in chapter 14, let us make every effort to do what leads to peace and mutual edification. We who have been reconciled to God must help others be reconciled to God. Second Corinthians chapter five verses 17 through 21 says this: "Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation, the old is gone, the new has come." All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us a ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting men's sins against them, and he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God of God. And so Christ's death and his resurrection represent God's victory over all powers that stand between humanity and God, particularly sin, but any conflict that we experience Christ's death and resurrection is has victory over those things. God, we need to understand God is reconciling the world back to himself. That is what he desires, that is what he wants. And through Christ, God has defeated the reign of sin. Thus, humanity no longer, we no longer have to be slaves to sin. Because we are children of God, we should exhibit the characteristics of God. Thus, desire to see the world reconciled back to God. Reconciliation between two parties, or reconciliation between one party and God, is only possible through the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives, as Elizabeth was saying. I want to. I don't know if you guys have ever read this book. Has anybody read Peacemakers? Uh, Okay, so I've not read the whole thing, but I want to encourage you, particularly if you're experiencing conflict, to read this book. But I want to read an excerpt from um, from this book. It says this: Conflict robs us of immeasurable time, energy, money, and opportunities in our workplace and in ministry. Worst of all, it can destroy our Christian witness. When believers are bitterly embroiled in a disagreement or coldly estranged from one another, few people will pay attention when we try to talk to them about the reconciling love of Jesus Christ. But the opposite is also true. When Christians learn to be peacemakers, they can turn conflict into an opportunity to strengthen relationships, preserve valuable resources, and make their lives a testimony to the love and power of Christ. I want to invite the worship team to come forward as we close. Again, in Matthew chapter 5, verse 9, it says, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. We will be called children of God. And so Jesus says that those who are peacemakers will be known and recognized as children of God. And so a child, um, we, we just... Uh, for, for those of you who do not know, we just um, began the process of fostering uh, one of our students who lost his parents. Um, his name is Gabe, and he'll be here second service. But we're going through the process of adopting him as our, as our son. And so, oh, Thank you. <clears throat> And so a child, particular, particularly a son, is, is one that carries on the family name, bears the family resemblance, and, and their reputation as well. And so, so Jesus says here, he's saying that as his followers become known as peacemakers, as we become known as peacemakers, that we will be recognized as children of God who share his name and share his mission. In Hebrews chapter 12, verse 14, it says this, make every effort to live in peace with everyone and to be holy. And so, as we, Joe, you can start playing, as we um, are about ready to enter into worship, I just want to ask this question, and I I just want us to be honest with ourselves, just ask the Lord to just kind of reveal to us the truth. Do the people in our lives recognize the family resemblance to our Heavenly Father based based on our efforts of peacemaking? If someone was to look at you, to look at your response to conflict, would they recognize our Heavenly Father? Because if our mission, as Pastor Anthony said, if our mission is to pass on an obedient relationship with Christ to our community, if that's our mission as a church, the question I have is, are we... Completing that mission through the work of peacemaking. Our mission is passing on an obedient relationship with Christ to our community. And if we are not peacemakers, I just wonder if we're passing on something completely different. Something that does not honor or glorify God. And so we are children of God because we've accepted Christ, but we are also children of God because we pursue peace. So are you actively pursuing to reconcile people to God and to one another? Remember that nosy neighbor that we talked about? Those in-laws? You know, you have a situation in your family, some conflict in your family. When we seek to make peace, We are doing what God Himself has done for us through Christ and doing to others what God intends of us to do.